Welcome to the Neurotransmitters, a podcast about everything neurology, from challenging clinical cases to practical clinical pearls, with the goal of reducing your neurophobia. We are your hosts, Dr. Ashley Paul and Dr. Michael Kintress. Hi, Ashley. So after long discussions, we're finally recording. And one of the things we we both have a passion for, I think, is neurology education. So in our intro, and I like that you suggested this, was the inclusion of, of neurophobia. And if you will indulge me, I, I did bring up a definition from the 1994 JAMA Neurology paper by Dr. Ralph Josefowitz, um, which I think sums up a lot of the neurology training that we see out in the wild. Uh, neurophobia can be defined as a fear of the neural sciences and clinical neurology that is due to the student's inability to apply their knowledge of basic sciences to clinical situations. What do you make of that a diagnosis? You know, that was back in 1994. Do you think that it still holds as true uh, today, almost 30 years later? Well, I think we would have to update that to include more than students. <laughs> so, you know, it does in that article actually reference uh, general practitioners uh, as well. So I do think that there was that concern. So it, it was still a prevalent problem back then. And anecdotally, it does seem to be a recurrent concern when we're dealing with learners from other fields, whether that's uh, internal medicine, psychiatry, emergency, family medicine. And obviously, you know, we're, we're biased. This is our specialty. But it's a specialty that touches on facets of every other specialty. And it's something that, unfortunately, a lot of people don't necessarily feel that they are naturally inclined towards or have this aversion towards. Yeah. Why is there an aversion to neurology? I remember when I was graduating medical school, I was one out of three people going into neuro. And I had friends ask me, why am I doing this? <laughs> like questioning my decisions. Right, right. There, There's this stereotype, you know, that, oh, neurology is complicated, that uh, it's esoteric, that you can't make a difference in patients' lives, all that kind of stuff, which are, you know, somewhat archaic, I would argue, at this point in time with uh, all the advances that are being made in the field. And there, there is that uh, necessary evil. The, the knowledge of neuroanatomy is, is a prerequisite for the good practice of clinical neurology. This is true. And I do remember that being painful as a second-year medical student. But I think once you see the clinical application, it just all sort of like clicks into place. Yeah. And I, I do, you know, there's a lot of good textbooks out there um, that, that hammer on on some of those points. But you know, one of our, like we said it in the, the intro, uh, our goals are kind of to, to address those concerns, to reduce your neurophobia. And I think there's a, a variety of ways we, we want to go about doing that, you know, on a regular basis. So what are the, some, some of the things that we're going to look into, Ashley, in terms of uh, broadening people's neurologic horizons? Well, we can go through cases that we've experienced. Some of them could be clinical conundrums. Some of them could be more straightforward, but things you don't want to miss. Um, reviewing journal articles so that people know what's the latest data out there. Um, because like you said, neurology is evolving and there are so many more treatment modalities now than there was in the past. And I think we need to 
undo the stigma that neurology has all these diseases that cannot be treated. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, and I think that's great. You know, it's good to vary the the way that we try and uh, further neurology education. And I think all those are, are great ways of going about it. Um, so I thought for, for this first episode, it might be useful, perhaps, for people in the medical student or even the pre-medical stage, you know, how did you end up coming to the field of neurology? So that's always a loaded question, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, I wasn't going to apply for neurology at all. Um, when I was a fourth year medical student, I had already submitted my ERAS application for MedPeds. And during the month where my ERAS was submitted, I was on my neurology rotation. So I think this is also part of the problem, actually, that neurology, even though it's a core uh, curriculum, it's not in the same years across institutions, right? So some institutions required in the third year, which then you get that exposure and then you may consider going into the field. Whereas some institutions, it's in the fourth year, which was my case, but luckily I took it early enough. And I just remember every day being so fascinated. And I think what really fascinated me was that a lot of these diseases can alter a person's sense of self. And, you know, it made me really think about the brain and how that relates to self-identity and memories. Um, And I guess I was also attracted to neurology because these diseases can be just so so startling in their presentations. And that was just interesting to see. Like one of the first cases I saw was a woman with anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis. Oh, that's a doozy. Right? And her family described her as someone who could uh, manage a car dealership and, you know, had no issues at baseline. And then during her third trimester of pregnancy, started having seizures, but didn't meet criteria for eclampsia. Hmm. And after she delivered, her cognitive state was no better. So I I just recall interacting with her and asking her basic questions like, how many quarters are in a dollar? And she would just sort of repeat it back to me with this sort of dazed look. And it just... It was just so fascinating how like this these diseases just transform people and how we can serve as a bridge to help them get back to some semblance of normalcy, whatever that normalcy might be, right? For certain diseases, you might have to right. establish a new normalcy if there's it's chronic and progressive. Very um, true. But some of these other diseases like anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis, we've had patients that made a complete recovery. Yeah, there's there's a, a lot more options, and the the outcomes can be much better than they were even just a decade ago. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I could think of so many examples like that, I, even in the world of movement disorders, which mm-hmm. I was just talking to my uh, medical student today about this. So he said that when he, before doing this rotation with us, he felt like that same thing that many people feel 
which is why do neurology? There's just a bunch of incurable diseases or chronic diseases. <laughs> you, there's nothing you can really do. You just make the diagnosis and that's it. And his experience rotating with us in our clinics showed that there's a lot that you can do for all these patients and that we don't just, you know, throw cinemat at patients with Parkinson's disease, but you know, well, we address I mean. a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do give them the gold standard medication, yes. yes. But, <laughs> but we also, you know, address their cognitive issues or their, oh. I mean, I even prescribe medications for urinary incontinence and. Right. Now, um, now that's a, yeah. a good point. Now you've, you're doing a fellowship right now, correct? Yes. So I'm doing okay. my fellowship in movement disorders at Johns Hopkins. And you've, you're in your second year of fellowship there. Yes. And, you know, what, what was it that drew you, you know, like you said just now, right? Neurology is such a vast field. What led you towards movement disorders as a specialty and what, what is kind of encapsulated in that specialty? So I think I was drawn to movement disorders actually since medical school too. I had a okay. chance to spend time with the movement disorder clinic at my med school. And I appreciated that these patients are chronically ill. And so you have the opportunity to develop longitudinal relationships, which I really liked. And there were so many advancements already coming out in the field, you know, like deep brain stimulation for Parkinson's disease right, right. or for essential tremor. And it's so transformative. It's like magic. Yeah, some of those videos online are pretty amazing. Yeah, imagine seeing that in person. You're the one who makes it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Just the push of a button, right? Yeah, it's very satisfying. <laughs> I can only imagine. So getting back to the point, there yes. is a lot we can do in neurology for well, patients. Your, your passion for Parkinson's and movement disorders is certainly coming through. <laughs> Yes, I do love it. And I love the patient population I see. I think I, oh, I just really great. love old people also. <laughs> Not that I don't like my young patients, but right. um, they're just like the sweetest people. Yes, yes, they're, they're certainly. And like you said, that longitudinal relationship, many neurologists become kind of like the primary point of medical care for a lot of these patients, you know, with Parkinson's disease, other chronic neurologic issues um, just because it is something that perhaps their usual primary care doctor isn't as comfortable or uh, knowledgeable about. So they, they do rely on their neurologist to a large extent. And, you know, as, as we know, right, there is a national shortage of neurologists. So again, kind of coming back to our whole purpose is to increase knowledge to help the the population at large in terms of caring for these patients. Yes, exactly. And hopefully encourage medical students listening to this to consider neurology because it is Absolutely. such an amazing and rewarding field. You will never be bored. I also would make the argument that, you know, a lot of people look at these, again, chronic diseases as incurable and progressive. And I mean, diabetes is also a chronic disease that most people don't you know, reverse just through diet and exercise alone. So I think every field has its chronic patients that they have to follow and treat. That is true. Yes. You know, you can't, otherwise, if it weren't work, they wouldn't call it work. Uh, 
So it's always good to find some spark of joy in your day to day activities, but but there will be those challenging moments. Yes, definitely. Yeah, but even after those challenging moments, even in through those challenging moments, sometimes you find a rewarding experience too. Like um, when I had um, uh, that patient in residency with uh, cryptococcal meningitis. Mm, yes, yes. And I had to sit down with a family of like 20 people. <laughs> oh, my. It was yeah, just that's... me and the family and the nurse. And uh, she thankfully also called in the chaplain, I think. Yeah. You know, I learned to tell them bad news. But it was nice to be able to connect with them, you know, right. on an emotional level. And I don't know. It's It was very sad, but it was also in some ways I don't know if I would call it rewarding because it was not, oh, it was an unhappy ending, but. Right. Knowledge that you did, did the best you could and, you know, provided closure for the family, right? You know, exactly. answering, making sure there's no lingering questions, you know, and that, that is, you know, a, a way in which neurology intersects with another field, right? Palliative care, where we unfortunately frequently do, do have, uh, some overlap with that field um, in terms of end of life discussions and, you know, planning uh, for end of life care. And, you know, some of these diagnoses, we see that coming down the road sooner than others. And having a frank and open conversation is an important part of that. I know when I was a, a fellow, um, yeah, I, I spent uh, some time in the ALS clinic. And obviously, that is very much present in terms of, you know, we know this person has ALS and we know that they likely have so many years left based on their progression and so on and so forth. And yeah, uh, having those conversations sooner rather than later so that both the patient as well as their loved ones uh, are able to make appropriate plans is, is a very important part of neurology. So even though we don't quote unquote treat it, um, treating the patient not the disease is is really the goal exactly meeting them meeting the patient and their family where they're at exactly yeah you know like some people's goals are to be able to walk their daughter down the aisle for her wedding right so yeah you know I, and so it's i kind think of, about how i can titrate yeah. the cinemat <laughs> to make that happen yes exactly like you gotta do this this and this you know yeah. set the stopwatch um <laughs> but yeah you know and that that is satisfying um from a you know medical practice perspective you know as a physician providing even that small comfort uh to people who are dealing with very challenging situations yeah yeah sometimes just being there makes all the difference yeah and it is something that is neglected, unfortunately, um, more often than not. Well, the other thing I also love about neurology and part of the reason why I went into movement disorders is is how much, well, the, how much your diagnosis is reliant on the exam and the localization. Mm. Right. So, yeah, that, that is an excellent point to bring up, right? The, the neurologic examination. Um, Daunting and to every I, medical student. <laughs> yes, right. And to some attendings, I have gone consulted 
to do a neuro exam. <laughs> Going forward, again, we'll be looking into different case presentations, kind of do a walkthrough of uh, how we would approach a patient, things that would go on the differential, potential treatments um, <clears throat> that we see in our clinical practice. And then we'll hopefully have some uh, colleagues on intermittently to go through, kind of have roundtable discussions on uh, journal articles, uh, newly developing uh, findings and treatments in the field of neurology and medicine at large, potentially. And uh, hopefully have some stimulating discussions that will continue to both be interesting to the new learner in the neurology field, as well as those who have been practicing neurology. Because we all have something new to learn. Absolutely. Uh, too much. Too much to learn. <laughs> there is too much. Yes. But that's why we're here. <laughs> yes, right? So going forward, and we would also love to have any listener questions or suggestions for future topics. Uh, emailed to the neurotransmitters podcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at neuro underscore podcast. <laughs>